Welcome to the Four Teachers Podcast. I'm your host, James Meston. Today on the podcast, we're going to be featuring an episode which is part of a fantastic series, all of which will be available on this channel, all to do with STEM, which Catholic Education Essay and EduChange produced last year. Uh, first, just quickly, if you do enjoy these episodes and want to hear more stories about what's happening across Catholic education in SA, I think you'll really enjoy the School Life podcast, all about what's happening in our schools from the students' perspective. I'll put a link to that channel in our show notes. Okay, add over. Here's the episode. Welcome to this special edition EduChange podcast. We partnered with Catholic Education South Australia to produce these six episodes focused on STEM. We were thrilled to work with students to understand what they wanted to know about STEM and STEM learning, STEM education, STEM work. And so you'll hear their voice throughout these podcasts. We'll be back to business as usual with the EduChange podcast in early 2020. I had a log that was uh, impossible to deny. You know, so I kept following it. I there were so many moments, and still are. You know, I still wake up some days, and I think this is really hard. You know, and I'm tired. Uh, but you know, I actually think that it's a very special group of people that I'm honored to be part of. What we do is special, and it's hard, but it's you know, it's it's worth changing. So we have to hang in there. STEM education is undoubtedly a hot topic in education systems worldwide. In this Catholic Education South Australia STEM podcast, we talk to leaders in science, technology, engineering and maths about the value of STEM learning and the future of STEM careers. These are the stories of STEM in South Australia. Flavia Tatanardini is the CEO and co-founder of Adelaide-based Fleet Space Technologies, a company on a mission to change Earth from space through creating a digital nervous system that will connect every single device on our planet. At Fleet, Flavia and her team are developing shoebox-sized nano-satellites to enable the Internet of Things and transform industries such as agriculture, logistics and mining. She is a rocket scientist and has worked on fascinating projects, such as the development of innovative micro-propulsion systems for CubeSats, the qualification of an igniter for the heavy-lift launch vehicle Ariane 5, the design of space debris removal systems, and the redevelopment of hypergolic green propellant, a rocket fuel. Flavia was born into a family of engineers in Rome and grew up with dreams of becoming an astronaut. She loved space and realised as a teenager that her ticket to space was through engineering. We are so lucky that she fell in love with her Australian husband and moved to Adelaide in 2012 to make Australia her home. I'm Maddie Scott-Jones, Chief Operating Officer at Education Changemakers, and we are thrilled to have partnered with Catholic Education South Australia to produce this STEM podcast. Today, I am so looking forward to my conversation with Flavia about rocket science, the Internet of Things, and the value of female leadership in STEM industries. Welcome to this Catholic Education South Australia podcast, Flavia. Thank you so much. So um, as the rocket scientist in this interview, I think it's probably best I leave explaining the work of Fleet Space to you. Would you mind giving us a little bit of an insight into the work that you're leading here in Adelaide? So we uh, founded uh, Fleet uh, um, two, three years ago, you know, with the idea of deploying a constellation of satellites 
for the Internet of Things. So these are very, very small satellites, and we are trying to launch a very big constellation, 100 of them. Uh, so we founded the company here in Adelaide a few years ago. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. And what sort of work are the satellites doing when they're up in space? What, what do they enable you to do in Adelaide? So what they actually do, they cover all, uh, so they, they, they travel in what is called an orbit in uh, low Earth orbit. And uh, so they cover not just South Australia, but the entire globe. And uh, their purpose is what is called Internet of Things. So Internet of Things is uh, the ability in industries, so imagine agriculture, mining, and oil and gas, or all the indus- big industries of the world, to connect devices, so to put sensors to measure things. So uh, kind of create uh, auto- automatic measurements and automatic operations in the industry. It's a big change. You know, uh, industry has gone through a massive change uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago when Internet for People came in their operations. And now we are connecting all the things. So imagine in a farm you can connect the uh, sensors in the soil or sensors to measure the weather or to help the animals or in a mining company to support uh, the, you know, the resources exploration and the, uh, it's just infinite, the things you have, you can do. So these satellites kind of give this internet for things. So, so the new, the internet of the future. When I interviewed students uh, in schools in South Australia, um, one student, Fernando, um, was particularly interested in the practicalities of actually launching rockets into space. I mean, I, w- I want to know more about the entire processes that go behind actually sending their satellites or anything into space itself and the way that like it's able to communicate back to us and how we're able to control it straight from the Earth despite it being so far away from us. So far. (laughs) So I'm wondering, how do you actually send things into space and then track them? It must be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Absolutely. So it's you have to bear in mind that these satellites are small. They're as big as a shoebox. So it's like in space, this is much smaller than a needle. And they fly uh, maybe 580 kilometers from Earth. It's pretty far. So in the nitty-gritty, you know, to answer the students' questions, what happened is that we build them together. Actually, we build this together with an American company. And uh, it's, it's literally a stack of electronics. And then we put a radio. So our satellites, they do radio communication to connect the devices, as I was explaining before. And uh, so you put the radios inside. You do a lot of testing to ensure the satellite is supposed to do what it's supposed to do. So it uh, probably takes one year to build one of them, or a little bit less. And then uh, there's a lot of regulations to put them in a deployer on a rocket. So, for example, last year we launched with a rocket from SpaceX, uh, a rocket, beautiful rocket from India called PSLV, and a rocket from uh, our neighborhood in New Zealand called Rocket Lab. So this, uh, this rocket, usually they bring up a very big satellite and also small uh, satellites like ours. And they are in a deployer. So imagine a kind of box. So when the satellites uh, reach high orbit, they get released from the, uh, from the deployers. Okay. So this is usually when the rocket people are very happy because it means that the rocket worked. <laughs> You know, the launch went well and all the stages were released from the rocket 
and the satellite was released from the from the uh, from you know the ferry. Uh, the struggle starts when the satellite is in orbit because that's where our work starts. So we built a big dish, a big big dish, like a three four meter dish, out of Adelaide, um, and uh, that dish helps us to uh, kind of grab the first signals from space. Okay, so the satellite goes around the orbit and the dish is able to just grab the first signal. That's, that's radio frequencies. It's mainly, you know, the satellite pass on top of the dish for three minutes and we need to talk to it. So <laughs> it's pretty complex. Mm. You know, we have an entire team here for hours waiting for that first signals. And, you know, we kind of cross, cross fingers that everything works as expected. Mm. So, you know, the question is, is, uh, is legitimate because it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever lost satellites, like sent them up with these rockets and then not been able to locate them after a year of work oh, of building them? You know, it happens. You know, so, uh, an American company called Planet, they've launched 230 and I think many failed. Uh, in our case, I think we launched one, uh, two of them we launched last year. The second one took us many hours to find. So the first one was probably after 30 minutes was beeping, but the other one, it took a long time. So those were very long hours. Mm. But, you know, the idea is that you launch many. It's like little computers in space. So if some of them will fail, you can launch more. So that's the big revolution, you know, that you can uh, launch a storm of bees. So, yeah, there are always in- intense moments <laughs> of fleet when we launch a satellite. But then you keep tracking them and they got a lifetime of, you know, a few years and, you know, so everything goes okay. Mm. So you use these uh, rocket companies like Rocket Lab over in New Zealand uh, essentially as uh, sort of courier services to get these satellites up into space. That must cost a huge amount of money. How do you fund these um, sort of space experiments? So <laughs> interestingly, if you think about big satellites, so they're all space they really those really cost a lot of money. So if you talk, think about the MBN satellites that we all know in Australia, I'm not sure about the values, but we're talking about $600 million to launch and $600 million to build, right? It's a big number. So just yeah, big, big companies or government can do that. Yes. But these most satellites are, yes, expensive, but not too bad. So a lot of universities. So I think every single university on Earth, including University of Adelaide, has launched a satellite in space that is a nanosatellite. Is usually, it's still expensive. It could cost up to 50 kilograms per kilo. So usually they weigh three, four kilos. So it's still, you know, less than a million dollar exercise. But you can launch a satellite for 250K. And sometimes universities are able to finance this kind of project for the students to do it. You know, when I started before Fleet, uh, I had another startup called Launchbox. And what we were doing there, we were launching 3D printed CubeSat with balloons, so not in real rockets. But still, we had students from primary school and secondary school, because you can do anything. You know, balloons go to stratosphere, so rockets go a little bit higher. But the point I'm trying to make that is, it's expensive, but not anymore as much. So a lot of education companies, uh, universities and, and centers around the world, they're actually able to launch them in space and have students building their own projects. So that's cool. 
Mm. The work that you're doing with Fleet um, clearly has considerable potential for impact. So from measuring the effects of climate change in remote areas like the Amazon to improving food production in Africa, for example. And with, That's right. with young people like Greta Thunberg to look up to, many of our students in South Australia see STEM as a lever for social change, as the vehicle through which they can make a difference in the world. And I'm wondering, is this social impact an important aspect of the work you do? And could you give us some examples of how Fleet is making a difference? Listen, you know, even last week on Friday, there was uh, in Adelaide the climate strike. And what we did at Fleet, we, we all skipped a day of work and we went. You know, the reason why we founded Fleet is because I agree with you, technologies are a really enabler of change. You know, if you look at climate change issues, resource issues, water issues, food issues, you know, the real big deal out there is that you cannot fight for something you cannot measure. So scientists in many years, since 30 years, are talking about the impact on climate change on our waters or uh, our, our forests and nature and trees. But uh, why there are always fights about this? Because we need more data. So that's fleet philosophy. Uh, when we started, we were working on the, on the Great Barrier Reef. You know, in the Great Barrier Reef, there's a lot of corals and a lot of, you know, nature dying for the climate change. And if you actually can measure where the problems are, you can act. But it's a big area. It's a big, big area. And, you know, and it's really a struggle to measure everything. One of our uh, supported investors, uh, they do uh, deforestation uh, monitoring, so checking trees growth to understand uh you know, if, if there are issues in the vegetation. So there are examples and examples of things we do. So what it means is measuring trees, what it means is measuring fires, is measuring water, is measuring food. There is 60% of the food that is actually lost in the supply chain, you know, because of wasted or because of refrigerators and trucks that loses food. So when you can start measuring all these things, you can start to act. So this is our philosophy, mm. right? So when you actually have small sensors that can follow food in the supply chain or measure big, big things in the middle of the desert or in the middle of forest or in the middle of Amazon, of course, you need satellites because it's massive regions. So that is when technology really makes an impact on everyone's life, you know? Mm. I think I, I heard um, about the technology with the Great Barrier Reef and if we can measure the coral, there's sort of a critical point where within 24 hours if we deliver a particular chemical to that coral yeah, as it's dying, yeah. then we can save it. And I think your, your technology is supporting scientists and, um, uh, and, and others to identify which parts of the reef are dying so that we can you know, deliver that, that substance within that critical period of time. Correct, you know, because if you don't have connectivity, you know, we are a big believer that connectivity, uh, that is, we give it for granted in cities, right? But 90% of the world is unconnected. So, you know, all those beautiful nature <laughs> jewels are not connected. Connectivity is always an enabler of change. So in the, in the example of the Great Barrier Reef, the Great Barrier Reef is, 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 is spectacular nature gift. You know, and uh, most of the time it's the temperature of the water that doesn't create an environment for the coral to survive. And there is no 3G out there. You know, there is an app in which you can take a photo 
of the coral it's sending to the you know the authorities but there is no 3g so sometimes you have to wait one day two days three days before sending the data you know their technology can help with that mm. and, and as you said people can act in 24 hours and make a change what are the emerging trends in space technology and in the internet of things that are exciting you most at the moment so space, what to say, you know, when I came here a few years ago, five years ago, there was not a space agency, there were not a lot of space startup in Australia, now everything changed, you know, in the past five years, we do, we did create a space agency, um, is an amazing team out there, they are really focused on commercial space, <laughs> so helping all startup to build value for, for Earth and beyond Earth, I guess. So the space agency was a fantastic success of of Australia, and now is in Adelaide. I think it's a great proud. Yeah, we're very proud in the city, right? But just this week has been announced that uh, the space agency is going to participate with NASA to go to the moon. It's a 150 million um, budget to allow companies in Australia to participate to the new moon race. There's a new project in US uh, that is the follow-up project of Apollo mission that is called. Artemis, and um, is um, is literally allowing companies to go back to the moon to stay, and they're actually talking about bringing the first woman on the moon. I think it's awesome, and Australia can uh, can follow. Uh, the idea there is that it's a stepping stone to Mars. There are a lot of space entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson. These are the biggest. Now we are tiny compared to them. <laughs> But they're building, you know, commercial technologies to to help companies like me to launch more satellites and helping industry, but also create amazing rockets to go to Mars. And why do we, we go into Mars? We go into Mars because we are humans and humans, you know, need to push boundaries of the progress and, and discover. That's the nature of our souls. So it's big trends in space. And uh, the, the good thing is that everyone that wants to work in space, they really can. You know, I am a younger, you know, okay, I studied a lot. I mean, I studied my aerospace engineering bachelor, my space <laughs> master's, so got educated about the topic. But at the end of the day, I became an entrepreneur and I'm doing this. So everyone can do it. Um, internet of things is fascinating. It's, it's, it's going to change the way we live in the, in the cities, in our buildings, you know. Self-driving cars are all based on IoT self-driving trucks, all the self-driving world, right? I've got a six-year-old. Who knows if she's ever going to drive? could be that when she turns 16, we'll have self-driving cars, right? So it's a world changing, and it's all due to technologies that are kind of, you know, between space and IoT, so it's pretty exciting. When I spoke to students about the value of learning deeply in one subject area or spending time working on integrated learning, there was a fairly clear consensus amongst the students that learning deeply was their preference. Learning more deeply in a specific area of a subject is actually more helpful because the deeper you go, the more of an understanding you get, and then you see how that subject or that issue relates to other stuff. Like you might be researching something in chemistry of like chemical somewhere. And then you might see how math might relate or engineering might relate or how it's developed over the years. If you were hiring a new employee at Fleet, for example, would you look for them to have a breadth of knowledge or depth in their knowledge? <laughs> I mean, this is a startup. 
so it's a it's a quite complex environment when you have to hire because a startup means that you need bringing a new product in the market that you are discovering things it's not sure even what you are discovering so you have a vision you have a dream but you need to build an ecosystem around you need to build a product you need to get customers so it requires very peculiar skills so some people i hired them because they are able to do everything and so people are hired them because they're able to do something very very good so it really depends what is very fascinating for me is that you know i've got a team of more than 20 people i think it's even more and there's a lot of software engineers so that's the change that i think is important to highlight you know, you would think that our, all the engineers I've got here are mechanical engineers or hardware engineers. They're not really. It's a lot of software. Because software is changing the way you do space as well. Software is changing the way you do hardware. So that's an important thing. You know, I'm not a software engineer. I'm a space engineer by background. And if you ask me, I cannot code or even a line of code. Okay? It's terrible. So most of my employees, I think they don't respect me much for that. But <laughs> let me tell you something, you know, but... They, these people are amazing. I mean, the things they can build. I mean, we operate our satellites with an automated system built by software engineers. So I, and the their depth of knowledge is amazing. So these are people that could code you anything. They code satellites to automate, uh, automatic perform yourself. So I, it still blows my mind. It's, it's amazing. So I think it really depends. I think the world still needs people that goes very deep in knowledge and people that are really good at doing different things. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the attitude is everything for me. You know, I hire people that love space. I hire people that love what they do. I hire people that are super professional, super committed to, you know, to the journey. That for me is way more important. I know you're a really passionate individual and that your journey to where you are now wasn't necessarily all smooth sailing. Um, you started off when you were younger um, wanting to be an astronaut and you're now a, a space entrepreneur. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Adelaide um, co-founding and, and leading Fleet? So I actually met, uh, so I was working in Europe and I really loved my job. I have to say I was uh, working on uh, some cool stuff on Mars missions with nano satellites. I was happy and, you know, pretty happy. But then I met my husband and so everything, you know, went upside down on <laughs> the love story. <laughs> and I followed him here. That was five years ago. It was quite funny because when we decided to stay, he's, a, he's an Adelaide boy and all the Adelaide boys, I think they've got it. He was in Europe. He was living in Europe. But I think something I've learned about Adelaide that, you know, when, when Adelaide wants to create a family, they go back home. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we go back home. And uh, Adelaide was seen from abroad like a big engineering hub. So I thought I'm going to find a job very fast. So this is what I thought, but I didn't realize that space was not a thing yet in, in Australia. This was nothing for me, you know, uh, unless you worked at a universities or changed topic. So yeah, that was, um, that was hard. And then I had my kids and, uh, you know, uh, and bless them, but it's hard work. So I wanted to go back to work and the only option was funding startups. So I met my co-founder and I didn't really know what a startup was. I had no intention to become an entrepreneur. I just loved space. And, but he was an entrepreneur. He said to me, you know, we can create something. We can 
change the world. We can do things. And, uh, you know, we just need to figure out what we have to do. So we, we did it. And we co-founded a company and then another. Fleet is doing quite well. <laughs> Very well, I think. <laughs> um, when, I, when I interviewed students, many of them were really interested in pursuing careers in STEM. And I'm wondering if you could go back and give young Flavia some advice as she kicked off her career in STEM. What advice would you give her? Uh, you know, I, I started my career in STEM in, 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 in theory in Italy when uh, I started high school, right? So probably I was 14 years old. I remember deciding with my best friend if we wanted to focus more on the STEM um, topics or something else. I come from a family where a lot of people were engineers, so it was quite inside me. Um, I... I think that 14 years old did exactly what she was supposed to do. You know, like I, if I, she was in front of me, I would just tell her, just keep doing what you do. Like when you're 14 or 15 or 16 or even 20, you just don't know what you're doing. I remember the first few years when I chose aerospace engineering because I really loved space. That was my passion. I hated universities. Like the first couple of years, I didn't see anything about planets and stars and all things I loved. It's really hard. You know, I remember my mom telling me to just, I think it was just provocative, but she was telling me you can leave universities and go and work in a supermarket, but I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So I think I would just tell the girl to keep keep going, you know, because she did quite well, <laughs> and I'm very proud of her, but mm-hmm. I, had, I had a love that was uh, impossible to deny. You know, so I kept following it. I, there were so many moments, and there still are, you know, I still wake up some days and I think this is really hard, you know, and I'm tired. Uh, but, you know, I actually think that, you know, what we are building is, is it's massive. And there are few people that actually get this. So yesterday I was talking to um, uh, a group of people that want to start startups. Okay, so people with new ideas. And, you know, in a panel they gave some numbers like, uh, average VC, that is, is the people that give us money, they see a thousand companies per year, they invest in 10, 1%. So 1% of people make it is a very special group of people that I'm honored to be part of. What we do is special and it's hard, but it's, you know, it's, it's worth changing. So we have to hang in there. You know, so I will definitely tell this girl that the, the ride is not going to be as smooth, <laughs> but, you know, to hang in there, just keep doing what she's doing. Flavia, thank you so much for joining us today for this Catholic Education South Australia podcast. It's been really inspiring talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Catholic Education South Australia. For more information about our organisation, check out our website at cesa.catholic.edu.au.